Welcome to the Working Mom's Guide to Sanity podcast, your go-to resource for support, advice, and inspiration as you navigate the challenges of balancing your ambitious career dreams and your family. Each week, I'll bring you interviews with powerhouse working moms who'll share their insights on how they manage to find sanity while juggling their demanding jobs and kids. I'm your coach, Elizabeth Pearson. I'm an executive coach for women in male-dominated fields, and boy, have I heard it all. I've experienced a lot. I'm a mother of two young girls, and the women that I interview somehow built these businesses, climbed the ranks of corporate America, and followed their dreams all while being a mother and clinging to their sanity. And you can do it too. Each week, I'll show you how. Welcome to the show. I'm your coach, Elizabeth Pearson, and today's guest is Coot Blackson. He is a transformational teacher and a best-selling author. His book, The Magic of Surrender, is one that was really a game changer for me. It's so eye-opening about what the difference is between surrendering to your life and the flow of it and succumbing to your life. So we had a great chat today. We talked to you about how early is too early to start teaching your children a spiritual practice and instilling some of these thoughts and these belief systems that Coot so beautifully describes in his book. He also has another book, You Are the One, I highly recommend both of them, but if you are somebody who loves a good podcast while you're driving, obviously other than this one, I kind of urge you to dive into his books on Audible. He has a great voice, and I think every single chapter has the ability for an aha moment, not only for you, but things that you can teach your kids. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. It was such an honor to chat with him, and I think he over-delivered for us. Coop Blackson, thank you so much for being on the show today. I'm really excited to chat because I absolutely devoured your book, The Magic of Surrender. And I have really kind of made it required reading for all of my clients because I think that there's just so many amazing nuggets to pull from it, but more so because you're such a great storyteller. So thank you for being on the show today. I thought we could go through some of it today, some of the highlights, but obviously we want to make sure that everybody listening grabs a copy of the book as well. Awesome. Thanks for having me. So I really wanted to ask you, in the book, you talk about the difference between surrendering and succumbing. Could you give our listeners a little bit more insight as to what you mean when you say that? Because I think a lot of times when we think surrender, people can assume that it means giving up. Yeah, I think in our culture today, we have this misconception that surrender is giving up, that surrender is waving the white flag, that if you surrender... um, you're going to be left behind, that if you surrender, you won't manifest your goals, your dreams, your desires, that if you surrender, you're going to be a victim, you're going to be a doormat, you're, you know, you're going to get less than. And I'm actually saying, no, if you surrender, what if you didn't get less, but you got more, more than you could even have imagined with your conscious intention, with your mind, with your logic, with your ego, more joy, more abundance, more prosperity, more love, more, maybe not what you most expected, but more and uh, maybe different, maybe better, right? And so I think the ego is limited. The ego is not able to see the entire picture of life. When we're locked in our ego perception, we have a very limited perspective because the ego is conditioned by the past experience, by history, by parents. And so we often see a very small, limited perspective. And I think when we live a life based on the ego, we put so many limitations on life and we don't even know. And so for me, surrender is a letting go. Surrender is a letting go of control 
or I should say the illusion that we are in control in the first place. Surrender is when we stop trying to force life to fit our limited idea of how we think it should be and who we think we should be and how we think relationships should be. And it's a it's an openness. It's an availability. It's a, it's a willingness to allow life to lead you, allow life to guide you. And so I think for me, surrender is the most powerful thing that we can do. I totally agree. I think it was Esther Hicks who once said that surrender is like if you choose to get on a whitewater rafting trip, right? And you can either be on the raft and be enjoying the waves as they pop up and let it take you. And you can guide it a little bit with your paddle or your oar. Or we can be on that whitewater rafting trip and be trying to paddle the opposite direction to go upstream. Yeah. So we can be fighting it and resisting it, or we can just try to see the beauty in it. The fact that we actually don't have control. And I think there's a freedom in that. Don't you, Coot? Yeah. Look, when I look at the most powerful people on the planet or folks that have really inspired me, whether it's a, a Jesus, whether it's a, a, a Buddha, whether it's a Mother Teresa, whether it's a Gandhi, whether it's a Mandela, at some point, they all got to the point in their lives where they surrendered. They all got to the point in their lives where they had to let go of the idea of who they thought and how they thought their life was going to look. They all got to the point where they surrendered. And in that surrender, they transcended their human limitations. In that surrender, they transcended their human limitations. And I think they tapped into another dimension of life, another dimension of potential. And to me, that's when life was able to express through them and life was able to manifest through them. And that's when I think miracles began to unfold and miracles began, like life used them in ways that they could not have even imagined. For me, the old paradigm of manifestation is all about like, what do I want? You know, what do I want? What do I want? And I think you might manifest from the level of the ego and you might get everything that you thought you wanted only to realize that what you thought you wanted was just what you thought you wanted based on who you thought you were. And sometimes our goals and dreams can be like projections of unmet needs from childhood, you know? And so for me, the question is not, what do I want? The question becomes, what is it that life is seeking to express through me? What is it that life is seeking to manifest through me? What is it that life is seeking to create through me? What is it that the universe is seeking to, to, to lift through me? And I think the more we can open to that, the more we can become available to that, then we can sort of tune into the vision of life and tune into the creativity of life. And then we can catch the vision that life is seeking to manifest and express through us. And then life can live us in ways that we can't even imagine. And I think that's, that's, the, that, that's the magic. Then you can align with the deeper intention of life and give 100% without being attached to the outcome. So surrender doesn't mean sitting there and doing nothing. It means you, you, you feel the deepest impulse of what life is seeking to express. And then you give 100% to that without attachment. I love that. And there, you guys, the book is incredible. And I don't say that books are game changers that often, but this one is. And a dear friend, Amberly, Amberly Lago, is how I got turned on to Coot and his wow. feed. And I think that it's really important, you know, on social media, who you're choosing to follow. She's all about overcoming resistance and just sheer determination. And I thought, that's such an interesting juxtaposition, right? We've got Coot over here who is talking about the magic of surrender and giving in. And then we've got somebody who's also incredibly inspiring, who has had a lot of resistance and she's had to overcome not only health problems, but addiction problems. So one, one thing, though, I think is really interesting that you bring up 
you may, you, you talk about, well, kudos over here and someone over here. But what, what I think people have to really understand is surrender is not giving up. Surrender doesn't mean you just sit there and do nothing. Sometimes surrender might mean you do things that you don't feel like doing. Surrender might mean sometimes it doesn't mean like people have this idea that surrender is like, oh, you just sort of sit there and you follow the flow wherever the flow takes you, which means like, if I feel like not exercising today, I'm just going to surrender to that. And if I feel like, you know, eating my seventh tub of haagen I'm just going to like, just go with the flow because that's what surrender is. No, that's called laziness, right? And, and so there's a difference between laziness and surrender. Surrender might mean you feel the, the deeper calling in your soul and the deeper commitment to that calling, which might be like, sometimes your soul will guide you in a certain direction that doesn't make sense to your mind. Sometimes your soul will guide you in a certain direction that will scare you or, or, or guide you to launch something or create something that, that is scary or that you're resisting because you think, well, how will I make money? Or what will people think? Or this is going in a completely different direction. And this is going to really expose me and put me out there. And it's so vulnerable. But surrender is sometimes taking the path that isn't easy, doesn't always make sense, that challenges you. It might mean you do things you don't feel like doing. And it's, so it's not just following your mood in the moment. And so in a sense, it is a deeper commitment to a deeper calling versus your fleeting mood in the moment. And so it, 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 it may mean you work harder than you've ever worked. It might mean you work 24 hours instead of, you know, seven hours a day. It might mean you go where you haven't gone, you know? And so it, it's not, it, it doesn't mean life is easy. And it doesn't mean you always take the path of least resistance, but you take the path of the deepest calling and the deepest commitment. And you commit 100% to that and so in life, we sometimes go through difficult situations, challenging situations, tough situations, an illness, an accident, you know, Amberly, like has been through some stuff. And so surrender doesn't mean just, oh, I give up and be a victim and just like, this is my lot in life and just shrivel up and die. It might mean, for me, surrender is when you, shall we say, shift your relationship to life and you surrender to learning the lesson that the situation is teaching you. And when you can surrender, and this is the difference, like, do I just surrender to the situation? No, you surrender in the situation to learning the lesson in the situation. And when you can surrender to, okay, I'm a soul from a spiritual level, I'm a soul. I incarnated into this human experience in order to learn, in order to grow, in order to evolve. To me, life is like a university for my soul's evolution. If that's the case, everything is my teacher. And if that's the case, everything I go through is part of like my classroom, the curriculum that I'm going through in this, in this human experience. That being so, in any situation, if you're able to surrender to the lesson and learning the lesson, then it enables you to go through a situation, even if it's difficult, even if it's challenging, even if it's hard, even if it's tough, to, to go through that situation with more fluidity with more flexibility, with more grace. And, and that might mean going through difficult situations because you have an understanding of the learning and the growth opportunity for your soul in that rather than resisting. To me, it would be shit happened. I'm mad that shit happened. And, and the experience I'm going through shouldn't be happening. And I hate God. I'm mad at the world. And you're pissed off. And you're being a victim. And you're like, this shouldn't be happening. In any moment of suffering, if you check your, 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 your mental frame, 
there is always the belief, the experience that I'm going through is not the experience that I should be going through. I should be going through some other experience. Now you're in resistance. So what someone like an Amberly or people that have been through difficult situations, they didn't resist. They have to come into a level of acceptance of this is what's happening. For whatever reason, this is what's happening. For whatever reason, God wanted me to go through this. For whatever reason, my soul is seeking this experience. For whatever reason, there must be a lesson. For whatever reason, the universe is conspiring for my highest good, even if I can't see it right now and understanding right now. So there has to be a level of acceptance. So, so acceptance is where you accept what is. This is what's happening. Surrender is the next level. Now, let me explain. Surrender is that next level of, you, you can be in a situation where you say, okay, this, this, this screwed up thing happened. I accept it. But you can still be mad. You can still be, you know, a little pissed off. You can still be a bit angry. You can be like, I'm not going to participate, but I'll accept that it happens. But surrender is the open-hearted participation. It's like, I'm going to embrace this experience for my highest good, and I'm going to use this experience to grow. I'm going to throw myself in, and I'm going to learn from it. That is surrender. It's the open-hearted participation. But in order to truly move into that level of surrender, there is a phase in the middle that most people miss. And that phase in the middle is grieving. We have to be willing to grieve. In that, wow. Because surrender is a death. It's a death of what you thought was going to be. It's a death of the relationship that you thought. It's a death of a dream. It's a death of the life you thought you were going to have. And so to truly say, I'm going to open my heart and embrace this experience and make the best out of this experience, not just tolerate it and accept it. You have to be willing to grieve because it's only in grieving that you're able to feel the sadness, feel the feelings and let go of the life, of the idea, of the relationship, of the version of yourself that you thought was. And many of us never truly surrender because we're still attached to an idea or an identity from the past, a relationship from the past, what should have been, what could have been, so we're not truly open to the possibilities, open to the new, open to the reinvention. So I just want to kind of clarify, like surrender doesn't mean you sit there and do nothing. It might mean you fight with all of your might and give everything you've got because that's what you're called to do whilst being in total acceptance without attachment to the outcome. Oh my God, I love that. And you nailed it. I mean, the grief part, right? Like that really- Grieving is key. The, yeah, the yeah. grieving is key. Grieving is key. So I would ask people to sit with, what is it that you haven't allowed yourself to grieve? Because many mm-hmm. of us unconsciously, you know, we're, you know, we may be kind of generally happy people. We may be feeling like nothing is like bad, but sometimes we're not even aware that there's things that we haven't allowed ourselves to grieve fully, that we're carrying, that sort of laying in our heart, old relationships that we, we kind of got over, sort of, kind of, you know, but our heart isn't fully available. Or why am I not fully, truly feeling alive? Or why am I not really excited about this relationship, this new possibility of love and relationship? Because maybe a part of our heart is is a little protected, a little jaded. And we're not even aware because many times we have many deaths along the way, disappointments, things that don't happen. You know, COVID happened. We had all these dreams and we had to make adjustments and we had to let things go. And so sometimes we don't even know that we have all these many deaths that are, that, that 
with that come grieving that if we don't allow ourselves to acknowledge it and grief, we just carry layer and layer and layer and layer and layer of grief with us. And that begins to sort of weigh us down without our conscious awareness. And so I invite people to give yourself time to consciously grieve. That does not mean sitting there and wallowing and feeling sorry for yourself. It just means acknowledging the grief so that you can let it go. I love that. And I think, you know, there are a lot of listeners who are parents that will be listening. So I would love at some point to get your take on that too. I think there's lots of mini griefs that we have over what kind of parent we were going to be or how our children were going to be. And I think we can carry that. And then I wonder if there's a potential that we're putting it on them then, maybe projecting some things on them. And then they're going to carry this shit. And then that's going to come into their adulthood. I mean, is it just one big cycle? Like, how where do we have to be of the parts that we need to grieve to be right. able to move like, into like, surrender and acceptance? It talks about like parent, but I think, you know, the greatest gift that we can give our children is not just leaving the money or generational wealth or houses. I think the greatest gift that we can give our children is a healed consciousness. And the more we can heal ourselves, the more we transform ourselves because our children will often act out, play out, express out our unresolved subconscious, our unresolved patterns, our unresolved traumas, they will often act it out. And in my observation and my work and my working with people from all walks of life for two decades now, what I've seen is many times we, even unconsciously, and maybe you've had this, this, this sense or feeling and it hasn't made sense, we end up sort of recreating and acting out aspects of our parents' patterns, our parents' lives. And sometimes people may have felt like, why do I have this impulse? Why do I feel this addictive tendency? Why do I feel this this pull? Why do I feel these things inside of me that doesn't quite make sense? Because sometimes the unresolved patterns, the secrets, the shame, the traumas, the pain, the things that have been suppressed from previous generations, grandparents, great-grandparents, addictive things, that is an energy that gets sort of unresolved and it kind of like passes down to the next generation. It has to go somewhere. It's like an energy. And so then then, then we're born and now whatever our forefathers and mothers haven't resolved, kind of that energy lays there that sometimes we don't even know why we do what we do. We don't even know why we feel how we feel. We don't even know why do we have this addictive thing. And so I think that the more we are willing to do our mental, emotional healing, the more we're willing to, to excavate our consciousness and forgive and clear and, and deal with our stuff, the more clear we will become, the more we will give that clarity to the next generation so that they don't have to sort of act out and play out the energies and the patterns that have been unresolved from us and our grandparents. And so I think the more we can do that, the, the, the happier our kids will be and, and the freer our kids will be. And so I think that takes a, a willingness and a commitment and a willingness to sort of, sort of surrender and do the work and have the courage to do the work, to face ourselves, to face our demons, to face our fears, to face our insecurities, to learn how to love ourselves because our kids will act out our unresolved stuff. And our kids will play out and absorb our pain, our grief, our, you know, shame. They will absorb it and they will act that out in different ways. So I think the more we can do that, 
Like the happier we can be truly authentically, I think we set a foundation to be able to relate to our kids differently and they will see that example and they will be happier also and healthier also. I totally agree. I think too with children, you know, I think we think that they can't sense if we don't love ourselves or if there's something there that, you know, we'll just teach them to love themselves and that'll be fine. And I do think a little, you know, I've got an eight-year-old and 11-year-old and they're feeling themselves. I mean, I feel like there's some self-love there, which is perfect, right? Do I completely, you know, 100% love myself? No, I don't. I think it's rare. If the process. Somebody, the process. Right. It's a process. But I wonder, too, if at some point it kind of flips. Like they're young. They're, they, I do think they have a lot of self-love. But it feels like, I don't know, maybe it's high school or college when all of a sudden there's expectation of like, you better be productive or you better do something. And then all of a sudden it's like that self-love just gets immediately switched into some sort of externals. It's hard. That's why, you know, I think the job of a parent, the job of a mother is the most important thing on the planet because you are raising a human and you are raising the next generation of humans. And so in that sense, you are impacting humanity because humanity is made up of the collection of humans that, that affect humanity. And so, you know, I think one of the greatest gifts that we can give our children, you know, like, like you said, you had two kids. So I'm sure you remember like when, when they were born, they came in and they just looked at you, you know, and it's so pure. Like there's no condition. There's no, she's bad. She's good. She, no, there's no judgment. There's just pure, like unconditioned seeing of you as, let's say, their mother, right? And, and so um, I think that gets conditioned out of us in life and media and society and schooling. And so the more I think we as parents can give our kids the gift of seeing who they really are, like to see who they really are as pure essence, as pure divine beings, as infinite beings, as souls, beyond their conditioning, that is the greatest reminder so that when they do go out into the world, they've had five, 10 years of just being seen. And I think one of the greatest pains psychically, unconsciously, subconsciously of children is that they don't feel seen by their parents. They don't feel seen. And, and it, it's kind of like a I don't want to be too strong, but like a psychic sickness, an invisible sickness where I remember I worked with a kid. I don't really work with kids, but one of my clients said, can you please work with my kid? So I, I, I did. I worked with this kid for a month and they told me that this kid was like so evil and so bad and crazy and kicked out of schools and, you know, told his father that I hate you. You're not my dad. I mean, it was a chat problem child. But when this kid sat in, sat in front of me, it was like seeing a freaking angel. I'm like, is this the same kid they're talking about? And I sat in front of him and I just saw his soul. And his soul was so clear, so bright, so magnificent. And what I understood was as children, we're born and we, we're in touch with our divine essence. We're in touch with the magic of our being. We're in touch with the part, the fact that we are a spark of the infinite. The, we, we know it. We're in touch with it. But it's like nobody sees it. You know, it's, it's almost this thing of like, the world doesn't see it. Nobody really sees it. And we start relating to these, these little beings as like personalities and egos and their problems, you know, good boy, good girl, the, what, and, and we kind of forget their souls. And so I think there's something inside of 
little babies, kids that feels a bit like, I don't say crazy, but, but it's yeah. like, I, I, I know I'm divine, but right. nobody sees it and the world doesn't see it. Like I'm confused. Yeah. And, and, and so I think part of the, the angst is, is like, how comes I, I sense myself true self, but nobody sees it. So I think one of the greatest gifts that we can give our children is, is I see, I see who you are beyond your behaviors, beyond your labels, beyond your grades. I see who you are. I know who you are. And I will always see the essence and the divinity and the perfection of your being. I think that's a, that's, that's a profound gift if we can hold that. But in order to do that, we have to also see that in ourselves and remember that in ourselves as parents. Yeah. And so I think yeah. uh, even parenting is an evolutionary path and to surrender to that evolutionary classroom that is parenting is, is a profound gift. And I think too, you make a good point. Like we have to see it in ourselves. And I think too, kids are 50% you and 50% yes. your partner. And so when we're shit talking ourselves or we're giving ourselves a hard time, like, I don't know that we're always understanding that they could be internalizing that as like, well, if mommy is a bad mommy or mommy messed up, well, I'm half of mommy. And so that yes. must make me 50% yes. bad, you know, especially if You've maybe gotten a divorce, you know, this whole like maybe, you know, it's hard not to, they're picking up everything. And if it's unspoken, I think they're so connected to us, especially mothers, you know, they're so connected that it's kind of like an invisible psychic umbilical cord that they're just sucking, they're just breathing it in, you know, that that sort of invisible communication. They're just, they're absorbing the energy. so, So I think like, just a parent's presence and quality of presence and holding is a profound foundation for a child to just rest in. Because when they can feel rested, like they can relax, that provides a sense of safety, a sense of feeling comfortable in my body, a sense of feeling at peace with the world, it, it allows the child to just grow up with a sense of like, you know, yeah. I feel, I feel okay in myself. You know, I yeah. feel good in myself. I feel good in my body, you know? Yeah. But we have to heal ourselves first, right? So that's it's the like, foundation. that's the piece. So there's so many great stories in your book and I'm kind yeah, of torn between, between the one, um, you know, in Bali in the vegan restaurant and then the train in uh-huh. India and I have told the train story to my kids many times when they're impatient about something or they're trying to force something. So I would love it if you would share it with our listeners because it was a huge eye-opener for me and a lot of my clients. But I think when we talk about kids, to your point, I think this is the time to be introducing these concepts of surrender and divinity and all of this stuff. I think a lot of times people can wait and they'll just start devouring these kinds of books in their 30s and 40s, maybe even 20s. But like, I feel like we should be starting as soon as possible with kids and no, we I shouldn't think, be I, dumbing I think, it down for them. I, I think, no, I, I really think that when your kids grow up in an environment of consciousness, an environment of transformation, an environment where this conversation is a lifestyle, it's just a way of life, then evolution and growth and positivi- positivity, and it's just normal. You know, it's just a way of life versus, oh, something you do once in a while or something. It's just, it it becomes the atmosphere in which they are raised and that's the soil and it's normal. That's how I grew up in a certain sense. You know, my parents were far from perfect, 
but I grew up in a sort of spiritual atmosphere with spirituality in the atmosphere. So it was just, just part of it, you know, it was just part of it. And so, yeah. So your question was about the... Well, I want to hear the train story, if you can share it, wow. because I feel like it's a wonderful... With, with the nine hour delay, with the eight hour delay. Yeah. It, it, in a nutshell, I was in India and in India, things tend not to go according to plan. <laughs> Right. And I remember being in the in the train station, and basically the the, the train was delayed eight, nine, however many hours. And I've I've been in quite a few of those situations, and and I was so I would always be so frustrated and looking at the time, looking at the clock, and you know the train stations in India are crazy, insane, not the cleanest, no nice restrooms, and and so. It was, it was like nine, 10 hours of hell and frustration. And like the experience I'm having is not the experience I should be having instant suffering and, and fighting it. And you know, bear in mind that was not making the train come any faster. Bear in mind, it was not making me any happier. It was not speeding up the train. It was just causing me hell. And so I think in many ways we create our own suffering. We create our own hell. We create our own pain. We create our own frustration. To me, events are just events. They can mean one thing to one person. They can mean another thing to another person. I like to say events, events by themselves, for me, have no meaning. They're meaningless. It, it really is about the meaning that we assign to those events based on our choice and based on our perspective, determine our experience of reality. You know, people say, you create your reality. Well, does that mean you, you create people flying? You could know, but when you create your reality because events happen, and the meaning you choose to make up about that experience is what determines the reality you have, which is why two people can go through an experience and one person has one reality, another person has another reality. And so in that sense, I was creating a reality of suffering. And so I looked around this Indian train station and I saw so many of the Indian people, like there was one family that was literally sprawled on the, on the floor sprawls like it was you would have thought they were on a beach in in in, in tulum a beach in central Pay, just sprawled with blankets and you know a little radio and the mom had food packed up in these little um to-go kind of containers yeah. and they were just eating and playing games and just having a jolly old time and i was sitting there mad and frustrated and and I just saw a whole different perspective of surrender and how they were just embracing it and how they were making the most of the experience. And, and then I thought, well, you know, for these children, these memories will be priceless. For these children, they're creating memories with their family and their grandparents. And, and so, yeah, yeah, I, I think that we often miss the moments of life because we're so busy trying to get somewhere. We're so busy trying to get to a destination that we miss what's right here. Even if what's right here is painful, you know, even if what's right here is difficult, you know, I'm sure you've had some challenging moments with your children, you know, late yeah. nights and hard moments yeah. and crying. And, you know, it's not easy raising newborn and kids. And, but, you know, I'm sure when you look back, you're like, wow, those were special moments. You know, those were moments that you could never get back. Those were moments like, wow. And, and so I think many, t in many mo often in life, we're so intentional to get to some place that we think is going to be different to get to some place we think is going to make us happy, that we miss what's right here now. And I think life is not the moment we arrive. Life really is every moment along the way. It's the journey. It's the process. It's the in-between. 
And so, yeah, the, the Indian train stations and the delays taught me a bit to slow down and, yeah. and enjoy what's around. That doesn't mean you don't accomplish. It just means what is the point of accomplishing if you miss the entire process, if you miss the entire journey? And often when we get to a destination or some point where we achieve the goal, we don't even enjoy that because we're now busy thinking about the next goal and then the next goal. And before you know it, 20 years have flown by and we kind of miss life, you know? Yeah, and so we really do. Yeah. The yeah. We, we were just, um, and we took our girls to New York for the first time a couple of weeks ago for my 11 year old's birthday. And it was great. And you talk about surrender too. I mean, in New York with a couple of kids, like <laughs> one lady yelled at Vivian, my little one, because she was all over the sidewalk. And this woman just got in her face and was like, excuse me, and just like screamed at her. And old Liz would have had a problem with that. I would have maybe even said something like, you don't have to yell at a kid, you know, whatever. But we all just laughed and we said, okay, you know, she's having a day or whatever. That's, yeah. you know, it wasn't even a judgment if she's mean or not. It was just, that's a person. Yeah. And this is her experience. And then on our way back, we had a six hour flight back to LA and my oldest daughter was actually passed out that morning, like not feeling good. It was scary. So on the flight, you know, she ended up just kind of laying and sleeping on me for the entire trip. And I could have been nervous that whole time and just, oh, God, is she going to puke? Are we going to get there? Is she OK? But I just took it as like, I get to just when am I going to have her 11 year old head on my lap that I can just stroke her hair and and hold her because yeah. she might not let me do this again, you know, and like. So I but that a lot of that came from your book, like really uh -huh. reading this and being like. I can either be in resistance to this moment or I can, yeah, and I can suffer. And therefore she's going to feel that energy, by the way, like yeah. laying on me or trying to heal her body. So like, I, I think we actually have, you know, a bit of a responsibility if you want to look at it that way to like really clean up our side of the street. If we want yeah. them to be these well-functioning yeah. humans, it, it is, it's all about modeling. So Poot, your time is really precious. I really appreciate you spending some of it with us today. Everybody go get The Magic of Surrender. He's got an amazing voice, as you can hear. So I love the Audible. I get up every morning oh, and nice. um, you're in my ear. I, <laughs> I finished it, but I started it again. And I think that it's really, a, there's a lot of stuff that you can take and apply to yourself and your teams, you know, if you're a leader. Um, but to your kids, like these are concepts that is not, they're not above their head. We really need to start now and not, wait until they're on their own and they've had some traumas and shit to work through and they're 40 in therapy trying that's to understand how to get through it let's just do it now right yeah parents uh, the foundation you know i i have a i have a newborn it, oh, like 14, 14 weeks and Oof. you know it was it was a beautiful teaching because i get to practice my own teaching you know and when he was so cute screaming and you know being fussy and just like going bananas for no seeming reason, but there's something. And, and, and there was one moment when I just, at first I get a bit frustrated. And there was one moment where I looked at him and I'm like, two things. I realized these moments will never happen again. Soon he's going to grow up, be a big, big guy. And I'll be wishing to be able to hold him and soothe him. And then I looked at him and I, and I realized maybe this is like God. Yeah. Singing to me through his cries. And I just heard it totally differently. Like this is the divine that is actually singing to me a song through my, through my son. And it honestly just changed everything. And it was like surrendering to the cries is like, God is singing to me right here. 
And so, dude, that's yeah. next level. Maybe there should be a children's book in your future. I really do feel like uh, distilling things down like this. Um, yeah. And they don't even have to be about distilling. I mean, kids get it. I, I refer to my children as angels and their friends as angels all the time because I really do believe that. And people say, oh, she, she, she angel, like she behaves. And I'm like, it's not about that. It's about the divine energy of these yes. beings yes. that we get to shepherd while they're here. But of yes. course they're angels. So all children are. So thank you so much for spending the time with us today, Coot. Everybody grab the magic of surrender.